Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Today's sermon begins with a callback. We get to go all the way back to the first Sunday of this year, January 2nd. I know some of you weren't, weren't here that, that day, but that's, that's okay. January 2nd, I, I preached a message called, What Do You Want to Do in the Name of Jesus This Year? So maybe some of you who were here, you, you remember that, you're, you're thinking about that. Um, it was the Sunday that we had note cards given out, um, if, if you remember that. In, in the spirit of New Year's, New Year's resolutions, we took a look at commitments, and we, look at, uh, we, we looked at passages from Colossians 2 and, and uh, chapter 3 in Colossians there. And we explored this powerful movement of the gospel. We were dead in our sins, but now we're made alive in Christ. We were dead and now we're forgiven. We were condemned and now we're free. We died with Christ. We were raised with Christ. And now we're invited to live in this new reality. And that means putting to death the things of the old ways. Sexual struggles, relational struggles, idolatry struggles, greed, language struggles, and so on. We, we put off the old. And we're invited. We're invited to put on this new Jesus-centered life. Being people of compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love which binds it all together. And there's so much more that, that we unpacked that, that Sunday, but our, our call to action, to get to the point, our call to action on January 2nd came from Colossians three seventeen, which says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And at the end of the message that day, we had note cards looked like this note card and i invited you if you if you wanted to participate you could write down a goal on that card or perhaps it was something that is trash in your life and it's something you want to get rid of maybe it was something you wanted to work on or it was a commitment for those who were here do you guys remember that do you remember that that sunday <laughs> So essentially, what we wrote down on that note card, it became a prayer request. And I had the thought back in January, it'd be really good to circle back and kind of have like a, a part two of this message. To kind of have this, uh, this time of, of, hey, let's, let's check, check in on that. Let's check in on that. So uh, for those who, who were there, what did you write on your card? How's that been going for you? We asked you to write down a gospel-centered, gospel-shaped commitment to God or something that you wanted to throw away. How has your life been the last couple of months here? And for me, what I wrote down on my card, let me just tell you, I am convinced that God has been working with me. God has been shepherding me, coaching me, training me in relation to what I wrote on my card. Experiences. I've had opportunities over the last number of months where I'm able to, you know, if I allow myself to reflect, I'm able to, like, connect the dots. And I'm like, ooh, God's, God's coaching me on this. 
in ways that I wasn't expecting, but I'm like tracing the, the threads here. It, it goes back to what I wrote on that card. And so today, I want to reintroduce the idea of making gospel-informed commitments to God. Out of who we are in Christ, we get to take off the old, we put on the new. And so what is that for you? Making no changes, making no effort, no plans, no goals. That's a commitment to, be, to being frustrated. We don't want to be frustrated. And so let's reintroduce this idea of, of making gospel-informed commitments to God. Um, also, I want you, I, for those who are here, I want to give you an opportunity to revisit what you wrote on your card. If you weren't here, or maybe you want to write a new commitment on a card... At the end of the message, over by the chips is a stack of note cards and a box of pens. And I'm going to invite you to write at least one, one commitment to God. And again, what you write down on that card, it becomes a prayer request. You can stick it in your Bible, keep it around close. Hey, this is something I want to work on or something I, you know, I want to throw away. Whatever, whatever, you know, however God leads you there. And so how we're going to do this today, we're going to be in Titus chapter 3. Thank you, Sherry, for reading. Chapter 3 of Titus. And we have a, a three-part, three three-point framework today, and it's all about identity. Who we were, who we are, and what we're supposed to be doing. Titus chapter 3. If you're not already there, you, you can turn there. Let's, uh, let's pray, though, as we, as we get into it. Lord, we ask that you would speak. Give us the ability to hear from you today. From the depths of who we are, connecting to the depths of who you are. Speak to us today. We want to learn. We want to we wanna move today. Be with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, Titus, it is a letter. It is a pastoral letter. The Apostle Paul is writing to a pastor named Titus, and he's encouraging Pastor Titus with some wisdom. Uh, and this is wisdom that he wants Titus to disseminate to his islander congregation. That's right, they're on a beautiful island called Crete. And, and Titus has the, the responsibility of shepherding that, that flock. And Paul reminds Titus and the islanders of Crete and us today, Paul talks about who we were, who we are now in Christ, and now in light of who we are in Christ, what we get to do. So in your handout, there are three points printed there. Our first point is about who we were before Jesus. And I sum summarized it as, as this. We were senseless, stubborn, and servants to ways that do not lead to abundant life. So let's check out Titus 3.3. 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Before Jesus, we we're foolish. We were once foolish, unwise, senseless. Okay, we, we weren't in the know. We weren't in the know. Before Jesus, we were stubborn. Our hearts were uncompliant, not persuaded. 
we were deceived before Jesus, meaning like led astray, lost without God, enslaved, okay, servants, slaves, servants to impure desires and various pleasures, all the things that, that choke your life out, everything that, that is, everything that, that chokes out the good life, the weeds of life, we were slaves to those things, we were servants to those things. Anything that prevents abundant, good, rich, and meaningful life as God defines it, those are the things that we're enslaved to. We were misled rebels here, addicted to evil that, that ruled over us. We're hooked on trash, right? That was us before Jesus. We, we lived past tense in malice. Again, just bad-hearted, troublemakers, rotten, wicked. We lived, again, past tense in envy, just jealous troublemakers. We walked around with a chip on our shoulder. It means we held grudges. We had resentful hearts. We were angry that we were born. We were just people of hate. We were hated in return. Titus 3.3, it paints this picture of the old life before Jesus. In evangelical language, we like to use the word lost. Lost. There is a personal, profound lostness. Now, a long time ago, at the beginning of our country's history, at the beginning of of our republic, there's a a German-speaking Pennsylvanian named Jacob Albright. Jacob Albright, and and he had a a profound, uh, convertive experience. He met Jesus in a real way, and he was not trained to be a speaker or a a preacher or or anything like that, did not go to seminary. He had this passion uh, to present Jesus in a real way to fellow German-speaking Americans, first in Pennsylvania, and then, you know, about the, the five states or so that that go around Pennsylvania. He wanted to reach German-speaking Pennsylvanians, Americans, for the Lord. He, he wanted to introduce them. And what, what, what he was seeing was there was so many uh, Americans, his neighbors, they went to church. Okay? They had a religious cycle and framework in their life. But the thing is, like, they were lost. And he realized, Jacob Albright realized, like, church does not save you. Like, like this is just cold, dead religion. You're going through the motion, folks. Let me introduce you to Jesus, who is wild about you, who loves you, okay? And so, Jacob Albright, he, he started a personal ministry, and long story short, it became a denomination, and it's, and it's, Jacob Albright is one of our spiritual founders, so to speak, of the EC Church. We, he's one of our streams of influence. We look back to Jacob Albright, one of the people who, you know, out of his mission, we, we exist today. We, we can, we can trace that, that, that stream of influence there. But again, personal, profound lostness, what Jacob was about was personal, profound foundness, so to speak. To be found does imply that we were lost. 
Now, Brian McLaren, he, he talked about the meaning of the word lost in ancient times. And that lost connotated something to be treasured, worth looking for. It's just missing. And so, verse 3 here talks about who we were before Jesus. But then comes verse 4. In verse 4 in the NIV, it begins with the word, but. Everyone say, but. But. Okay, but is one of the most powerful words in the whole world. Did you know that? Okay? Most powerful words in the whole world. It has the power to change or alter what was previously said. Okay? I'm free every day but Wednesday. Okay, that's appropriate. That makes sense. I think facial hair is gross, but yours looks good. Well, that's an awkward compliment now. And I've heard that before. (laughs) I'm sorry for screaming at you, but you really drive me nuts. Okay, now that's an awkward apology. Okay? We need to use the word but with caution. With great but comes great responsibility. That was supposed to be funny. Okay, so our text says we used to be these things. We used to be foolish, but when the kindness of love, when the the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved us. And so our second point is this. It's about our, our gospel identity, who we are. We are the reborn. The spiritually renewed inheritors of life as God intended it to be. We used to be these things. We used to be this way. We used to be of this nature, but, but, but when the kindness of love of God, our Savior, the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Mm. Jesus is the kindness and love of God with skin on. Jesus appeared. Jesus is our life's epiphany. Once in darkness, now the light has come. Not because of our own right standing, not because of our ability to keep the law, not because of our own integrity, our own virtue, not because of what we bring to the table. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his mercy. And Jesus set us free from our bad hearts and broken ways. Now listen carefully and be reminded here, church, we are saved through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, which God freely rains down generously on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is life. Jesus is the gateway. Jesus is always the gateway. And we are washed in such a way that we are born again. That born again language here, you know, that, that this imagery, we, we're, we're washed, we are clean, we're, we're born again. This, this washing, it's grace and it renders us right. 
And it's powerful enough to justify us. The grime, the old ways are washed away. And what happens is we are given good standing with God by his great kindness. And all of this, this this whole gospel event, the epiphany of Jesus, the washing and renewal, the saving, the rescuing, it is all so that we become heirs of hope and hope of eternal life. We get restored life today, restored relationship today, and there's more to come. It's the hope that, that we will have eternal life. We have a future. It's awesome. Hope. Now, some of us don't need help being reminded of who we used to be. Because we're, we're pretty good at going in the files of our brain and we pick all the nightmares and boogeymen we can, we can find and we put it on repeat. Some of us do not need help being reminded of who we were. Many of us need help of being reminded of who we are. You are saved by Jesus. And now the kindness and love of God, it bursts out new forms of life and light inside of you. And we need to remember and rehearse that we are inheritors of life as God intended it to be. Also known as the kingdom life, the kingdom way. If you want to learn about the kingdom, study Jesus. If you want to learn about kingdom ethics, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is who we are. We are the reborn, the spiritually renewed inheritors of life as God intended it to be, inheritors of the kingdom. And this is our, this is our gospel identity here. Our gospel identity is a critical node. Now you're like, what? What is a critical node? <laughs> A critical node, it's, it's, I'm borrowing it from, it's a military concept here. If you take out a critical node, the whole system falls down. So you just have to imagine like on a piece of paper, a bunch of bubbles and the bubbles are connected with dots and it kind of looks like a web. Well, there might be like a critical bubble, a critical node that kind of holds it all together. If you take out that critical node, the whole thing falls. But the opposite is also true. If you repair, if you reinforce the critical node, the entire system comes back online. Our gospel identity, that's a critical node for us. And so whether it's direct or indirect, as a preacher here, that this is an organizing mechanism for me like to, to go back to gospel identity. Remind, like This is something to reinforce and reinforce reinforce, to know and to be able to speak clearly your gospel identity, have that gospel fluency that comes out of you. Mm. Now also, everything that we've been talking about today, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Here's the thing. Titus 3 was written in a time when Nero was emperor of Rome, and you may have heard stories about this dude. Uh, He is a nightmare. Long story short, a nightmare. And you know, in the Roman Empire, there's plenty of other terrifying people who use power and control to manip- manipulate you. And it's, it, was, it was a hard time back in the Roman Empire. So in context, our passage 
it sits within the context of, of being good citizens and submissive to rulers and authorities. In verse 1 of chapter 3, remind the people, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. So whatever time period that we are situated in, our gospel identity, though, it does not change. History is going to go through cycles of cultural, political, military upheaval. Sometimes a bunch of things happen at once, good times and bad times. But remember, God is above all of that. And by his mercy, he steps in to save. Be reminded of this hope, the hope that lies in you. Hope is a medicine in our days. This world is wounded. This world is hurting. God brings hope into that. God brings hope into what seems to be an inescapably lost situation. And I am evidence of that. He saved me. And he's not done with me yet. Hope has this ability to cultivate new life. And I like how author Sarah Bessie puts it. The gardener of hope, that's God. The gardener of hope sees the root of life still in you and cultivates everything that is wild and unexpected, hopeful and redemptive in you, bringing forth life you never imagined, a life that repairs the world at your feet. Sometimes like a tree, we get chopped down, but then a new shoot springs up. A little branch with a couple leaves on it. Hope. Hope. Reaching for that sunlight. Hope springs up. We have hope. And then Paul adds in verse 8, all of this, this is a trustworthy, trustworthy saying here. You can count on this, church. You can be sure all these gospel things that we keep circling back to, it's true, it's good, and it's helpful for everyone. Next, though, from the heart reality of who we are, are our posture then takes shape. So our third point today is this. This is our posture. We intentionally do good and beautiful things. And I want you to stress these things. Really emphasize the gospel identity stuff, Titus. Like speak with confidence, Titus. Make sure your congregation knows their gospel identity. Stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. If you believe that God is in control, then you are free to trust. And you are free to participate and devote yourself into doing what is good. Notice the flow. Who you were who you are, and then out of who you are. Be intentional. Doing good and beautiful things. And it's always excellent and profitable when you do these good things, Paul says. Anytime, any place. And I know it might be hard sometimes. Absolutely, there are days you just want to quit. There are days you just want to curl up and, you, you know... Hit, hit the Maranatha button. Jesus, please return. Come. I know there are days of frustration. Toxic people drain you. Toxic situations that you get tired of. 
And I know there are days where you're just like, nope, just. But this is where you let your mercy bought identity give you encouragement. Your very own mercy bought identity, your grace bought heart, let it speak to you. Remember who you are. You are a Holy Spirit reborn on this planet. You are here for a purpose. And you have the incredible capacity to do hard things. To break in good things. To go out and bend things back towards life and abundant life. To break in good things. Do good and beautiful things. And now here at the end, this is the fun part. In light of what you've heard today, maybe what something you sang today, even something you, you heard on the radio perhaps on the way over. What is God speaking to you today? Pick one thing, one area of your life or an idea that you have. Out of who you are as a person of good news, what is God leading you towards today? Is God asking you, hey, 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 I want you to be intentional with this. So think about that. And I invite you, after the benediction, go grab a note card. Fill it out. This is, what I want, this is what I want to give up this, you know, the rest of this year. Or, or this is what I want to embrace this year. Here's a prayer request. Here's something I want to trash. Here's something I want to treasure. Here's a dream, a goal. Here's a gospel-informed commitment to God. And you write it out on that card. Now, what did I write on my card on January 2nd? I want to be free... From fear of others. We don't have time or space to really get into all of that and nuance all of that out and actually explain what that means in my context. But fear of others, it's, it's one of those hidden frameworks. Sometimes you don't know how much your life is dictated by fear of others. But then the Holy Spirit comes along and starts to reform you. And, and the Holy Spirit... You know, it, it takes a look at the, the fear of others and, and then it takes a look at your gospel identity and it's like, you know what? That's got to go. That's got to go. And again, I, I won't go into detail or trace anything out here this morning, but, but God has been coaching me in this area. And it's been a blessing to see real fruit, real growth in my life over the last six months. Jess can affirm that. And she's, she's helped me, actually, multiple times. Been a voice that I needed to hear to counteract certain thinking or et cetera, et cetera. And I actually have a, a story. There, uh, way back in youth group, when I was like 13, 14, 15, okay, I, I developed an identity. Okay. I developed something in, in youth group, and I carried this identity in my life for like 
half of my life. I'm 33 years old. So, so like since the age of, of youth group to age 33, I had, a, I had something tangled up inside of me that was speaking not clear biblical identity, not gospel identity to me. But then something happened a couple months ago, and it was an opportunity where that tangle got untangled. And I realized that I was living in that part of my life. I had a, I had a different brand going on that wasn't reflective of my true gospel identity. And I'm trying to be very brief. It would make sense to go into all the details and explain all the story and explain it and unpack all of it. But that's, that's just a, a, a small glimpse of what I've experienced of making a, a commitment to God. I don't want to have fear of others. And that, that story about that youth group story, that's, that's related to that. It's all related. And, and there's so many other connections and, and cool things to share with you. But for now, for now, after the benediction, I invite you, grab a note card. If you want to participate, write a gospel-informed commitment to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I chose you, I appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Write something on that card in the name of Jesus. Lift it up to God the Father. Let's close in prayer.